0: Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Awesome. Man, I'm excited to be here this morning. So you might hear my voice. I'm, I'm on the downward uh, direction of fighting a cold this week. So I kind of have that nasally voice. But uh, the last week I was listening to a podcast. It was actually the Art of Manliness podcast, which I don't personally need to listen to. But somebody had sent me because my manliness is already... Manly enough. But anyways, on the Art of Manliness podcast, there was a vocal coach, a guy named Roger Love. It's actually a really cool podcast. And he was talking about how to release your natural voice. And so one of the things he was teaching men to do is to tap into your natural gravitas. (laughs) So everybody with me, just practice. Even if you're a woman, you can still tap into that gravitas. Are you ready? Ready? One, two, three. Gravitas. Thank you. Somebody... Was that you, Greg? There's always one. Come on. You know, you, always one cracked egg in the in the thing. And Greg goes on the front row, he goes, gravitas. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll work on our voices, but uh forgive forgive me if I'm a little bit uh nasally today, but but even if my voice is annoying, the things I'm gonna say are more annoying. No, I'm kidding. It should be great. Really excited. We're actually going forward in our series called Bigger, but before we jump into that, before I share the the word that I have for you this morning, I wanted to uh <clears throat> talk about what's coming up in the month of December. So those of you that have been here for a year at Joy Church, if you remember last December, we, we did something that we call legacy offering. And legacy offering is just a free will, just, hey, in response to God's generosity, in response to the blessing of God in our lives, we, we do an offering in December. There's no uh, push. We're not saying give the a specific amount or whatever. It's just something out of you know our response to God we, we, we give an offering that the design is to help make a, an impact to create legacy. So last year, it was really exciting. If you remember, we gave money to a missionary fund to establish a missionary retirement fund for missionaries, a really cool thing. We gave to local missions like Eugene Mission and Dove Medical and different things. And then we also cast a vision. So if you remember in last December, I got up here, I said, hey, we're going to do this legacy offering. And we said, uh, we, don't, we don't have any sort of idea about this, but uh, we believe God wants us to get a facility. We believe God wants us to have a facility where we can put an indoor kids playground. And there was no specific building, but we, we people gave, we gave money towards that. you know. And, and a couple weeks later, uh, Bethany and I were leaving the Gateway uh, Theaters and we went on Gateway Loop and we looked over at an old rundown skating rink building, Skate World, and saw the sign, not like a heavenly sign, it was actually a real estate sign. You know, and uh, we looked there, and and it said 26,000 square feet, and I go, man, that that would be big enough for a church, and big enough for us to put a kids' playground. So we called up the real estate agent, and here we are now, a year later, and we own that building. It's under construction, right? We're remodeling it. We're going to put a kids' playground in. But last year, it just started as vision, right? It just started in that place of faith, and uh, we didn't even have the, the the place. So I'm excited about this year's legacy offering, believing what And just seeing what God's going to do through this. So here's what we're going to do. So we're going to receive this offering on December 15th. And again, this isn't like you do this or do that. What we're, but what we've decided to do, the elders and leaders, we got together, we said this year, we really feel like the best way for us to make an impact is for us as a church to get ourselves into that place. So we're going to allocate all of the money that's given in the legacy offering to our building project. Now, let me let me just share with you where we're at with that. We haven't given an update on the finances on that in a couple of weeks, so I wanted to share that with you. Uh, the up, what, what's happened so far is we've had five hundred, I think five hundred and forty thousand dollars has been pledged up to this point. So that's awesome, yeah. I'll give a hand for that. Really good. And then uh, four hundred and fifty thousand of that, or four hundred and forty thousand of that pledge, has actually been given. And so this is. Let me tell you what the gap is. So what we need to get into our building. So to move in, which isn't going to finish it, it's not going to give everybody gold-plated toilet seats or anything like that, which we're not going to do anyways. Sorry to to break your little hearts. But uh, but the money that we need to get into the building and move in is about $220,000. Uh, that's the gap that we're at. So here's the thing. I, I honestly, that's a lot of money, right? I don't have that sitting in my bank account. Um, and if you do, you don't have to like raise your hand. That would be weird and awkward. But Uh, that's a lot of money, yes, but God has already taken us through so many challenges. God has taken us through so many things and I just don't feel fear. I just don't. I don't feel afraid. I don't feel scared. I just trust God is gonna provide for that. And the way he's gonna provide through that is through you and I and our generosity, but also he can provide in a lot of different ways. And I don't know how he's going to, but I'm believing God. So how many of you will say, yes, we trust and believe that God's gonna provide for us? Absolutely. Yes, raise your hand. You believe that? Okay, now you have another hand. Now, here's the other part of this. Let's, in this legacy offering, also pray and say, God, what do you want me and my family to do, right? What's the, God, out of response to all of your generosity and grace and blessing in my life, what am, what am I gonna do? And we can, we can slice it a bunch of different ways. What if 200 people gave $1,000? We, we're moving in, we're ready, right? What if, what if 400 people gave 500? Like that, that, that money that we need goes away. And, and again, if you pray and you're like, you know, I just don't know, Um, Just let God speak to you. Let God speak to you about what he wants you to give, but we're just trusting and believing God. So we'll be receiving that legacy offering on December 15th. It's all gonna go to the building. Uh, That's the the money that we need as a church, 200,000, 220,000 to get into our building. And I am just so excited. I'm gonna add another word. I'm stinking excited about everything that God's gonna do. That building is not our destination. That building is just a part of our journey as a church, but it's going to be a tool that allows us to reach more people for Christ. And I can't wait to hear those kids laughing and playing in that playground. I can't wait to be able to invite people to church and be like, hey, your parents don't want to come, but check this out. Like there's a kid's playground and it's amazing. And they're like, mom and dad, you have to go. Right. And how awesome that's going to be. And so many people are going to be just blessed and experience Christ, feel God's love. And uh, it's going to be really fun. And no, you can't play in the playground if you're older than 10 or 12, whatever. Sorry. I know you just break your little hearts again, but Uh, We're excited about that. So yeah, just be in prayer and just asking God what he would have you do. We're gonna be receiving that offering on December 15th. And again, no pressure, it's just out of grace. We're just responding to God and his generosity in our lives. So Bethany and I will be praying and asking God and she'll get a bigger number than me because she has more faith and loves Jesus more. There's always one spouse, right? They just have more faith and that's my wife. She's the best, really is the best. Okay, well guys, we're gonna jump in today uh, and we're gonna talk about bigger Grace. Somebody say bigger grace. Bigger Bigger grace. We've been talking about in this series that we serve a God who is bigger than every challenge, every circumstance. And whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or five years, we need to elevate our perspective of God. Somebody say, look up, look up. Like we don't see God uh, at the right level. Uh, We see God kind of down here and we need to get God up here. Like we need to see him at a whole nother level. I'm working on my falsetto because we saw Frozen 2 This week with the kids, you know, and how many of you know, into the unknown. We've been doing that. We were really embarrassing Evie on the way out of the theater. Uh, Bethany and I were like, we were doing the whole into the unknown, and then really hitting those high notes, and she was covering her face in shame, and I felt like we really arrived as parents in that moment. (laughs) We need to elevate our perspective of God. We need to see God at the right place, the right level. That really is everything when it comes to walking in faith, is to see God really for who he really is. And today we're gonna to talk about probably my favorite way to see God in a big way, which is to see that God's grace is bigger than our failure. You know, maybe you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've prayed the prayer and you're believing, but really you're not seeing God at the right level. Uh, you're, you're kind of, and specifically in this area of grace, it's like you believe in the gospel. Yes, Jesus forgave me for my sins, he saved me, but but I still kind of see my baggage and my bad stuff and it's there and the reality is we need to understand that God's grace is so much bigger than our failure, so much bigger than our shortcomings, and even so much bigger than our sin, and that God's grace really has dealt with our sin and our failure. So today, you're just going to get blessed with grace. Come on. It's awesome. Because it's essential for us as followers of Christ to understand and embrace the true grace of God in order for us to really share Christ with other people. How many of you have ever had somebody recommend a restaurant to you, but just in kind of a medium, mediocre, lukewarm way? Hey, man, yeah, there's like a burger place. We went there the other day and like fries are okay, I guess. Yeah, it's it's not like a 10. It's like a six out of 10. (laughs) How many of you know you're not blitzing to go to that place? And that's how we recommend Jesus to people. What do you think evangelism is? It's a testimonial, right? How many of you have ever written a Google review? Don't review Joy Church negatively, please. We've had enough of that. But you know, you write, you write a review. What, what is sharing your faith? What is what, is, what is what we call evangelism? That's a big, scary word. It's recommending Christ to someone else. Say, hey, this is what he did for me. So what if you don't see God's grace in the right level for you? If you still kind of see your failure and your sin and, you, and the gospel isn't really good enough, if you're not seeing God's grace at that proper level, you're gonna make a bad recommendation. You're gonna underwhelm, right? And the reality is when we get a picture of how big and incredible and amazing God's grace is, even in spite of our failure, when we see the, the, the depth of our failure, we see the heights of God's love for us and what that really means. It's powerful. Let's read a story out of the book of John chapter eight about Jesus demonstrating God's bigger grace. It says in John chapter eight, verse one, Jesus went across to the Mount of Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again and swarms of people, came to him and he sat down and taught them. says, the religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? And then John gives us a little editorial note here. He says, they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him these guys are jerks. Okay, let's just leave it at that. Verse six, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt, but they kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first, throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. And then Jesus stood up and he spoke to her, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Now, this is an awesome story. It's not awesome for this woman. Uh, we don't know the circumstances surrounding this event, but obviously this is a painful, humiliating, and awful experience. A lot of people have brought this out. Just say, where's the guy, right? Because it takes two to tango. Uh, and so there's obviously a setup here. This is not a fair situation. It's, it's, it's an unjust. But nobody here is debating the fact that what she did is wrong. She's not debating it. They're not debating it. And Jesus doesn't debate it. In fact, he never says, uh, you didn't do anything wrong, uh, go go your way. He actually acknowledges the fact that what she has done is wrong. And yet he doesn't bring the punishment down. He doesn't remove the standard, but he doesn't enforce the punishment. So what's going on here? We see an interruption of grace breaking into a very human story, a very human moment. And we've all been there. Maybe we haven't been caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Maybe you have. I'm sorry. Um, But we've been caught red-handed in a lot of ways. Come on, somebody. Are there any sinners in this room? Has anyone ever here sinned? Yes. And been caught and brought forward and other people are looking at you and you've done something wrong. But even if you're not caught, we've all been in sin and we at least have caught ourselves red-handed and we know that we, uh, we deserve punishment. So, Jesus doesn't actually say, you didn't do anything wrong, but yet he, he, he interrupts this moment with this amazing grace, this incredible thing. And he says, who's condemning you? And she says, nobody. He says, well, I don't either. So what I want to do today is I want to just talk about this kind of grace and really show us where it's different than maybe the way we've kind of thought about grace and really talk about how amazing grace is. Now, how many of you know the famous song? Amazing grace. Come on, put some sauce on it. How sweet the sound that's oh rich. Come on, <laughs> like me I want. But now I'm found. Where's the high harmony? Who's gonna come out? <laughs> But now I see. Okay, give yourself a hand. Come on, you sing real pretty. Everybody knows it. You all know the words. You all know it so well. I can just sing the very first line and you immediately know the whole song. Why? Because there's something powerful about that song, right? There's something meaningful. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five years, or whether you, you just kind of like walked into this movie theater on accident, you know that song. It's, it's something amazing but did you know the guy that wrote that song was a horrible person he was actually he, he worked on a slave ship uh, he was such a bad guy and he was so profane and awful in the way that he talked that the other sailors thought he was too much literally they were like this guy is too much for us he's over the top like how bad you have to be to offend sailors with your language they disliked him so much john newton the writer of amazing grace that they sold him into slavery uh yeah true story and so his dad had to kind of come and ransom him out of where he was, wherever he was at, on the coast of Africa at this time in history. Like he was a bad guy, he was raw, and it wasn't like he had this like moment where then I'm now I'm a Christian and everything's better. Like no, he actually ended up getting married, and I think his wife helped him to kind of. <laughs> how many of you know you need a, a woman to help us uh, see amazing grace? But it was in light of seeing his depravity and the brokenness and the wrongness that he's able to really say, man, grace is amazing. And you know, the thing is though, in 2019, what we hear about grace, it's its its sort of a different kind of grace. Like when you hear that song, Amazing Grace, what makes grace amazing is the fact that sin is pretty bad and that it matters and that it, it's hurtful. Like the song doesn't really work if it goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a fairly decent fellow like me. I once was mildly off track, but now I'm Back, didn't see clearly all the time, but now I do. How many of you know that song's not gonna resonate through the the, the halls of time? And yet, that's what we think of many times when we think about sin, is we don't think sin's really a big deal, and therefore grace isn't really that good of a gift. And we come to this story where Jesus again has an interruption in this moment, brings in grace, and we see grace on display. And I wanna give you two big thoughts and kind of shape theology here around this. Number one, God's grace doesn't break God's law. In fact, again, Jesus doesn't say, there's no standard here. I I get to change the rules. You didn't do anything wrong. That's not what he says. In the book of Matthew, we hear the words of Jesus. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. And let me just pause, and we're gonna move forward in this verse that I'm reading. But right now, a lot of people think that Jesus like is the get out of jail free card and that he's like, well, God was like in the Old Testament, he was like mean and he was like grumpy and he was a man and like, there's a problem there and like all this stuff. And now, but now Jesus, he's like nice and he's more sensitive. Like he's nicer. That's an old heresy, right? The Gnostics kind of brought this up. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Like the God you see in the Old Testament is still God. He didn't change. And I didn't come to change the rules. How many of you know, like God's standards actually matter? Like when people do something evil or wrong, it's evil and wrong. When, when you've done evil things, when I've done evil things, the grace of God doesn't say, oh, the things that you did that were evil or that someone did to you or that you did to someone else don't actually matter. Jesus says, don't mistake this. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to get rid of God's standards. I didn't come to abolish the law or, or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. And this is a very different thing. And you need to catch this nuance because it's the key to understanding the gospel of Christ and the real bigness of the grace of God. God's grace doesn't break God's law. It satisfies God's justice. See, there's a very, very big difference between getting rid of the standard or fulfilling the standard. Come on, somebody. Like last night, whether most of us like it or not, we lost. And I wish it wasn't true. I wish they could say, well, you know, the Ducks are a nicer team and they're God's team. So we're going to go ahead and let them have the victory, even though they didn't earn it on the field. Like that doesn't work that way. When the clock ends and you have less points than the other team, you lost. And Jesus is saying, I'm upholding that. And we go, oh, he's not nice. I thought he was nice. I thought Jesus was so sweet. I want to sing that amazing grace song again. No, here's the thing though. Why can Jesus tell this woman, hey, where's your accusers? does anyone condemn you? She says, no. And he says, neither do I. How does, Je- what gives Jesus the right to let her off the hook? Why doesn't he say, yeah, get the stones. Hey guys, come back. Let's get this thing on. We're going to, you know, we're going to be the first century stoners. <laughs> Very different context in 2019, isn't it? He, he, he doesn't do that. Well, why? Well, the reason why is because he's going to satisfy the requirement. He's going to fulfill the law. He's going to pay the bill. And this is the second big thought on grace is this. The basis of our forgiveness isn't mercy, it's justice. Listen to what Pastor J.D. Greer says. He says in 1 John one nine, John says that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Notice that John didn't say that God is merciful and kind to forgive our sins. That's because the basis of God's forgiveness of us is not mercy, it is justice. Now, this is an important thought and I, and I hope it's not offensive to you because people are like, God's so merciful. He's so loving. Yes, he is. But we need to understand what the basis of our forgiveness is. It's this, it's that Jesus paid for our sins. He didn't say they weren't sin. And he didn't say they didn't matter. And he didn't say that what was done to you wasn't horrible and evil and wrong. And he didn't say that what you've done to others wasn't horrible and evil and wrong. He paid the bill. And that's a very different thing. He didn't excuse our sins. And isn't this the way we think about our sins sometimes? Is we sort of have them in a satchel or a bag, and we kind of wear it on our our hip, and we carry it along, and we're like, well, I'm forgiven, but it's all still there. It's sort of a part of our life. And and this is like missing the bigness of grace, which is that, yeah, your sins were wrong and bad and horrible, but Jesus literally paid the whole bill. A couple weeks ago, we we pulled up to our favorite coffee stand, uh, Black Rock, over on River Road, close to where we live, and it's kind of sad because they always say, hey, you have like 12 or 13 free drinks now. And I realized like that means we bought like 120. Like. <laughs> Basically every month we just pull up with a treasure chest. We hand it over and then they, they serve us coffee the rest of the month. Uh, our retirement's going into caffeine, but it helps us keep the kids alive. So it's worth it, right? It's good. <laughs> and it's our favorite place. So we go there every Sunday and one Sunday, one glorious, beautiful Sunday, we pulled up, we ordered our drinks and I pulled out the credit card and I reached to hand it to the barista there and they said, no, 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 Uh, someone paid for your drinks today. And there was nobody in front of us. I'm like, Lord, (laughs) you know, they said, no, it was Juan Pablo. And I'm like, Juan Pablo? I don't know Juan Pablo. And then I realized it was John White, who also calls himself Juan Blanco. And so I I said, oh, you mean Juan Blanco? They're like, yeah, him. (laughs) So anyways, thank you, John. Uh, He was in first service, so we got to sing his praises. But John, had come through knowing we were going to pass through. He paid for our drinks. And when we got there, they were paid in full. And so you know what they didn't say though, when we were driving away, hey, we forgive you. You know, we forgive your bill today. They didn't forgive our bill. It wasn't out of the kindness of their heart that they turned over the goods. It was out of the fact that someone else paid the bill. So here's the thing. When you think about the forgiveness of God, when you think about the, the mercy of God, you need to recognize that it comes on the basis of justice. That when Satan or someone comes to condemn you or whatever, your con- condemning thoughts, internal dialogue, whatever it is, comes to say, look, you know, this is what you've done and all of that. You can say, right, you're right. I did. It's true. But the bill's been paid in full. So I don't pay for a bill that's been paid, and and I don't, and I, we don't allow someone to hold us accountable for a bill that's been paid in full. This is what the grace of God does. It's extended to us on the basis of an accepted payment. Now, how many of you go? That kind of changes how I think about this. That that's an important distinction. Recognizing that I I'm not going to live condemned because. This has been paid for. This is why the gospel and why grace is actually so amazing is because, yeah, man, I owed a real debt. I was a wretch. I was blind. I was dead, like John Newton says, and he's right. But grace is amazing because it comes into that cavity created by my my the, the death living on the inside of me and the darkness living on the inside of me. And God's grace comes in in such brilliance and such uh, such magnitude to fill that void and to and to bring us new life, like God's grace becomes amazing when we recognize that sin is actually bad. Come on, somebody, and that it matters. And like Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus gave His life; He paid for our sins, and that is the basis of our standing with God. And this leads to a couple of really amazing benefits. How many of you love you know? There's a, a saying in marketing. It says people hate to be sold. But they love to buy. How many? Of you? Isn't that true? Don't you love it when you're like in a buying situation? Like if you're convinced you want to buy some product or something. Like for me, I love Apple devices, Apple laptops, AirPods, iPhones, you know, iPads, whatever. I always find a way to justify to my wife why I need the newest, latest, and greatest. You know, well, this one is it has you know, it's really an emotional decision, isn't it? Uh, not a logical one, but we justify it with logic. And I love that part though, when you're looking at a page or something and they're going through all the benefits, like it does this and it does that, you know, how many of you just bought the new Tesla truck, right? Cause you saw those benefits and you, you had to have it. It's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life, but I kind of want one. Okay. So <laughs> bigger grace, what does it lead to? What are some of the benefits that when we connect with this idea, number one, it leads to personal transformation. You know that nothing changes us like grace, Scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Like there's something about the goodness and and the grace of God that actually transforms us from the inside out and changes us from the inside out, even gets into that part of us, the root system, of our motivations, like sin, when we were slaves of sin, we wanted sin, we longed for sin. It's like the, the what we what we thought would fulfill us. But when you get born again in Christ and God's grace begins to, to to regenerate you from the inside out and begins to do something, it like changes you and you want different things. Now here's the thing: a lot of times people go, "Well, I still want wrong stuff." Yeah, that's called being human. That you're a fallen person. But I but but when you're born again, you should also now want the right stuff. And a lot of times we get confused because we have this wrestling match going on on the inside of us. How many of you go, yeah, I got a wrestling match. Like, I still want to do bad stuff, but I also want to do what God wants me to. Like read Romans 7, it's the most confusing verse ever. It's like, what I want to do, I don't do that. But what I don't want to do, that's what I do. And what I hate, that's what I practice. But what I love, I don't do that. But I I know that I want to do the good thing. And it's like the most confused guy. And it's Paul writing. And it's how we all feel on the inside when you're born again. But that's actually a good sign that wrestling says that the, you were dead in your sins, but now there's actually some new life and there's a war going on on the inside of you. So thank God for that wrestling because it's actually a sign that you're born again, that there's new life happening. So don't feel guilty. Lean into that, that wrestling match and say, God, let your grace transform me from the inside out. When Jesus extended grace to this woman in the story and how he extends grace to us, you wanna, you wanna hear something interesting here? At the end, he says, look, I don't condemn you. But then he says something really legalistic in a lot of people's minds. He says, go and sin no more. We love the part where it's like, hey, I don't condemn you. We're like, awesome, Jesus is a hero. He's great. Don't sin anymore. What? Well, I mean, (laughs) nobody's perfect. He's not saying that she's never gonna sin again. He's not saying that you're only saved or I only give you grace if you never drop the ball again. In fact, I'm sure she goes and drops the ball many times like we all do The issue, though, is that grace demands a response. God's grace is two-sided. It's the grace that saves, but it's also the grace that sanctifies. And see, when we actually embrace the real grace of God, we also need to embrace the transformational power from the inside out, the renewal that happens. Here's the thing about God's bigger grace. It's about root renewal, not fruit removal. See, a lot of Christians and a lot of things, why people get confused about what it means to be a Christ follower walking in grace is that we talk about actually changing. Like, I think that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should get better. And I think I should. Like, I should be more loving. I should be more kind. I should be not so quick to fly my middle finger flag on the belt line. People cut me off. Like, how many of you think there should actually be, are there any people in here that are actually alive and driving Eugene? Because how many of you know, sometimes you just want to, let that, okay. Okay making sure the Pharisees leave the church sooner than later. Okay. But like God's grace should actually lead to some change. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate this. Yes. Thank you. Feel overwhelming support today from you, you, you folks, but that change doesn't come because we are trying to pick the fruit off the tree. The change comes because God's love and grace and goodness gets in on the inside of us. And it changes what we want. It changes who we are from the inside out. Paul says in Romans 12, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. God is getting a hold of your heart from the inside out and grace leads us to personal transformation. And it's a beautiful pursuit. It's what makes being a Christian sort of like amazing and fun. It's a journey where God is leading you to discover who he actually made you to be and letting go of those things that hold you back and keep you down and cause you to fall into the ways of this world. It's, It's a powerful thing. But grace actually is leading us to holiness and leading us into righteousness and changing how we think. Number two, God's bigger grace leads to transformed relationships. Let me ask you this question. Does your experience of God's amazing grace change how you treat other people? See, unforgiveness and bitterness, someone once said, is like taking poison, hoping the other person dies unforgiveness and bitterness, unforgiveness where we are holding someone else accountable. Well, you did this to me, you owe me this debt. Maybe you're even right. Maybe they really do owe you a debt. They've really done something bad against you. But when Jesus tells us the parable of the unforgiving servant, he talks about the fact that the master has forgiven this servant a great debt. That servant goes out and holds this other servant accountable. And the master calls the servant that held the other one accountable wicked. Why? Because why would you receive grace and not give it? You have to either participate in the economy of grace or you don't get to participate in the economy of grace. And Jesus is pretty clear about this. He says, I won't forgive you if you don't forgive other people. As a Christian, this isn't something that we get to pick and choose on. If you're gonna receive the grace of God, you also have to be a conduit of the grace of God and not be holding on to other people. Yes, I receive grace for all of my wickedness and sin and brokenness, but I won't offer it to another person. It doesn't work that way. And so forgiveness is applying Christ's work on the cross towards the debt of another. And let me tell you right now what this means. It doesn't mean that person gets off the hook. It just means you don't get to be Captain Hook. That's the best thing I've ever said in a sermon on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> How many of us want to hold people accountable? Well, Kayla, this is what you said to me. She said that to me. She said this about my, my, my shoes and my skinny jeans and she was critical of me. And now I'm gonna, you know what I mean? Peter, bad. You know I'm going to get you. I'm going to hold you accountable. No, the thing is, everybody's going to be judged. But who's the judge? It's not you. It's not me. God's the judge. He's working everything through justice, and He paid for everybody's sins at the cross. So, you know, not everybody's going to receive that payment. Okay, but it's up to God to be the judge of others. And guess what? The only person that loses when we hold on to things is you and I. You don't hurt other people by living in unforgiveness. Well, you do. You actually hurt the people you don't mean to hurt, but you don't hurt the one that you want to be hurt. So that's not how it works. And so when we receive bigger grace, it allows us to have transformed relationships. We can extend grace and forgiveness because the bill has been paid. We apply Christ's work on the cross towards the debt of another person and say, man, I turn this over to God and now I get to live free. Come on, take a deep breath. How nice is that to be able to let go and say, yeah, what they did was wrong, but I'm not the judge. I'm not the the judge, jury, executioner. I turn that over to God and now I get to live free apart from that and walk in the grace of God. Number three, bigger grace leads to a transformed relationship with God. And this is like the big Benny. This is the big benefit right here. This is the good one. They're all good, but it says in Romans five, we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I love this. A wonderful relationship with God. Many people are walking in not a wonderful relationship with God. We were talking about this today in Tagon. like does your faith have joy in it? Is it fun? Is it enjoyable? Is there, is there like a spark in your walk with God? If there's not, it's because you probably aren't seeing his grace in the right place, the right level but when you recognize that your bill's been paid in full, you don't have to walk in unforgiveness and hold on to other people. And you can have this wonderful relationship with God that he's not standing there going, well, you owe me, you owe me. No, you don't owe him because Jesus paid everything and you can have this wonderful relationship. It says in Romans 8, verse 38, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Bigger grace. When you get it, you get the gospel. You understand the gospel. When you understand that God had to deal with our sin problem and that it actually matters and that God doesn't say the rules don't count. He didn't excuse our sin. When God looked at you and I, and he looked at our problem and our predicament, he didn't say, oh, I can just change the rules of the game. He had to look into the situation and figure out a way to deal with it. And what he did was he sent Jesus, who was perfect and sinless and didn't deserve punishment, who didn't sin, but the scriptures tell us that Jesus became sin for us, which means that every rotten thing you've ever done in that moment, Jesus took it and he became that thing. And God put his punishment and brought that hammer down that you and I deserve. Those stones that those guys were holding, they were supposed to hit that woman. They were supposed to hit the guy that wasn't there for whatever reason. But the reason they didn't is because those stones hit Jesus Christ as he hung upon the cross and every blow and every burden and every broken bone, everything that happened, it happened to Christ that was meant for you and meant for me. It happened to him at the cross so that he could say, neither do I condemn you. And I want you to just in this moment, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads. I want you to put yourself in that temple courtyard 2000 years ago and put yourself into this woman's story and recognize that everything you've done has brought you to this place where others have brought you and said, look, they deserve to be condemned. And I want you to understand, I want you to hear his, wo- his words, hear his voice. Hey, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? And our response today is no. And Jesus says to you today, neither do I, go and sin no more. Right now in this moment is an opportunity to receive God's amazing grace. So sweet, that sound, that saved a wretch like you, like me. We were lost, but we are found. We were blind, but now we see. In this moment right now, if you want to receive God's grace, the first step is just to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What I've been talking about today is the gospel. It's a simple message. Your sins have earned you separation from God, punishment, We know we've stepped across the line. We know we've done wrong things. All of us have. But God, in his gracious mercy, he paid that bill. He sent Jesus to pay that bill. And today, you can receive that by faith and activate that for yourself. Just receive that today. If that's you and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want to receive Jesus. I want that bigger grace in my life. Would you lift up your hand so I can see? Thank you. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all pray this prayer together. Even if you're a Christian, you can pray this prayer it's, it's such an awesome prayer. Never gets old. Let's put our faith in Jesus and in his grace today. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you, in you alone. I thank you for your grace and your mercy provided for me when you paid for my sins and made a way for me to be reconciled with God. You paid my bill in full. And I thank you for that. And I give you my life, all my good and bad. You're my Lord and Savior. Give me the grace to follow you the rest of my life. Amen.